Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And Jacob, this week we don't have three stories for listeners. Instead, we have a bunch of little snippets from IndieFest, our yearly festival of various forums talking about everything from wildfires to education to the economy. And politics, Joey. You can't forget politics. Oh, yes. I almost forgot we talked about politics. Jacob, you were the moderator of one of the panels. What panel did you moderate? That's right. I moderated a panel about the economy, where it's going, what happens next, specifically in Southern Nevada. And it was very exciting for me personally, because I got to corner two economists on Jobs Day when the federal government releases how many jobs were created in the previous month. Um, so that's just a personal highlight for me. I, I love talking about Jobs Day. Nice. We love Jobs Day. And we'll get to that at the end of the episode. But we're going to start with the wildfire panel. But before that, we have a little promo about a new event that we're going to be holding in Southern Nevada later this year. Report on Ioka Foreman here. The Nevada Independent is partnering with Vegas PBS to present the Nevada Democracy Project, a new initiative focused on civic engagement and community conversations. The first community listening session will be held on Wednesday, November 1st from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the West Las Vegas Library. More information is available at the NevadaIndependent.com backslash democracy project. All right. If you want more information on that event, you can find it on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. But Jacob, we had that fire panel, right? Tell me more about that. That's right. That panel had two folks on it. Christina Ristaino, a natural resources specialist up at UNR, and Tim Brown, a research professor in climatology at the Desert Research Institute, DRI, and the director of the Western Regional Climate Center. Uh, that was moderated by our editor, Elizabeth Thompson. But in this clip, you're going to hear from Christina Ristaino and what she has to say about prescribed burns. Overwhelmingly, the science shows us that historically, our forests in the drier part of the West historically had significant amounts of fire in the past. So we were having lots of low-intensity wildfires. They would, they, it would happen through lightning or through human ignition. So, so humans would light fires or hunting or to make baskets, you know, a, a lot of different ways that humans used fire, but lightning caused a lot of fire. Now, when nature was allowed to take its course, those fires would burn through and thin out the forest and kill individual trees, kill the, the small new trees, and it would just be a more open system that was more resilient to fire, right? So when a fire would come, it would not burn everything down in the way that we see now. That's what gets me with this, this argument of, well, we should let nature take its course. Well, we're not doing that because we're suppressing wildfires. When wildfires happen, we get, have gotten really good for a lot of years at suppressing those fires. Now we have such a density of trees in a lot of our ecosystems in the West that make it such that now it's harder to suppress the wildfires because of that ingrowth. Also, we have this issue overlaid where trees use a lot of water. Trees are like straws in the ecosystem, right? And there's too many straws in the cup. Right. So when you have too many straws in the cup, the water is all being used and evaporating into the, the air. And then what you end up with is very dry forests, very dense forests. And then you put humans in the equation. 
we built houses all in the middle of these dense forests, right? So there's dense forests all over the place with houses all intermixed with them. Human star fires from having a bird pile in their yard, having a campfire, this and that. So it's a pretty complicated situation and scenario. And to say that I don't like the, the argument that we should let nature take its course, we're part of nature. Humans are part of this ecosystem. We're here. We've been managing the ecosystems that we live in since humans have been here. And by taking humans out of the ecosystem, that's created this whole problem to begin with. We need to be working within the ecosystems that we live in and being prepared for the natural disturbances that occur, which are fire. And the next clip we have is from our sports panel, which was moderated by our reporter, Howard Stutz. Uh, And in this clip, you'll hear from one of the panelists, Nikki Fargus, who is the Las Vegas Aces president. That's the WNBA team in Las Vegas. Uh, Last year, they won the WNBA championship. Right now, as you're hearing this, they are in the WNBA championship as we're recording this. But anyway, in this discussion, Howard and Nikki are discussing sports betting and how that's kind of changed the landscape of sports, especially in Las Vegas. Well, first question, it has drawn a lot of interest. And then when you look at the beginning of the season and how the media portrayed us as these two super teams, and as our roster has changed, we've got super players, we've got super women on our team. And so you're pitting New York versus L.A. or Las Vegas like you would L.A. Lakers versus Boston Celtics. So you're getting that rivalry in between two teams. And I think that's built up this playoff game. Everybody wanted to see the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty. With that being said, we have anti-gaming laws in, or as far as protocols for the WBA, we have annual meetings with our players, coaches, and front office about betting and not, well, basically not betting. Mm -hmm. But we do think that the gaming industry, whether you're a fan of women's basketball or not, it does lend for you to now pay attention. And so that's been a positive for us that we have more eyes on our game. We have more people viewing our game, which obviously helps our ratings. And with that comes a better media rights deal because that's going to be up here in a couple of years. So we want everybody tuning in. And if this is one way to do so, then I'm for it. And I think it's been a positive for us to have these fantasy sports identifying and recognizing and knowing some of these names because we're a little different than a lot of the other professional teams because our players still have to go overseas. Our our players um, aren't always in market because they still have to earn a living and they play all over the country. And so if we can become a or have an Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum become a household name, that allows them to stay here. That allows them to not have to miss birthdays, not have to miss weddings. And that could be a way of doing that, too, to drive the, the opportunities for them to be here in market. We also had an expansive healthcare panel that included Indy alum Megan Messerly, now a reporter at Politico, where she was asked about the Medicaid expansion in Nevada and specifically about whether or not that expansion helped the state weather the pandemic and what the lasting effect of that expansion could be in Nevada. When you hear folks talk about why Medicaid is important, whether we're talking specifically about expansion or expanding new benefits or raising eligibility thresholds or things like that, all comes back to where where folks are getting their care, right? Are they 
waiting till things get so bad they're going to the ER, right? And getting it at sort of like the highest level, highest cost point of care, which one is both expensive and two isn't great for them and their healthcare. And so you hear folks talk about why Medicaid is, is important. And it's important because people then can go to their regular doctor's visits. They can take their children to get their vaccines. It's sort of that extra incentive knowing that when I go in to see the doctor, I'm not going to get this really expensive medical bill. And obviously there's other ways of getting care. In the U.S., we have federally qualified health centers, which offer services on a sliding fee scale. That can be really helpful for folks who don't have insurance. But it's that peace of mind, knowing that when you go to the doctor, you're going to be able to get coverage. And so I think at a basic level, it encourages folks to get preventative care, keep their health in check. So after the healthcare panel, we had a panel on housing moderated by reporter Tabitha Mueller. She talked to a lot of people, including Assemblywoman Chandra Summers-Armstrong, who is a second-term Assemblywoman in representing District 8. Also, Azim Jessa, who is a realtor of the Jessa Group and an incoming chair of the Nevada Realtors Legislative Committee. And in this, they talk about a question that Tabitha asked about their priorities for addressing the housing crisis. For me, I think we are, we are dealing with um, a shortage. I had a chance to meet with the director of the Southern Nevada Regional Housing Authority last week. We are starting to have regular meetings. And this is Mr. Lewis Jordan. And his estimate is around 90,000 units short of affordable housing. So we don't have enough stock. But what we are seeing is that the cost of housing continues to go up, especially rental housing, even in our poorer communities they are going up at exponentially higher and faster rates than that, the cost of housing in our more affluent communities. Why is that? Those communities are building more. They have more competition, so they have to adjust, is what I'm understanding. In our poorer communities where we have more working-class people, the stock is, is older, maybe not as well-maintained in some instances, depending on how old that stock is. And People have to be near public transit, and so they're limited to how far out they can go and have a successful, holistic housing experience. And so the prices in those communities are high, and it is difficult. And, and Alex and I see this uh, when, we, when we are at justice court, in the eviction court, we are seeing this, that affordability is an issue. Yeah, so um, as the Assemblywoman said, we truly believe in Nevada Realtors that we have a supply issue here, right? We do not have enough uh, available and affordable housing for everyone. And if you look nationally, it's the same, the same story. Our, our, our economist, chief economist, Lawrence Yoon for NAR has talked about this for years. And if you saw after the Great Depression, builders stopped building as much as they did. And we've been playing catch up ever since, since about 2010, 2011. And nationally, they talk about four to five million homes we're short. Millennials, Gen Z, these folks are, millennials are my gosh, almost my age now, but Gen Z are, they're moving out of their homes, they want somewhere to live and we just don't have enough homes, right? The, the boomers are staying healthier, they're staying in their homes longer. And so this traditional cycle of, of moving up and moving to that next home isn't available. We've got a bit of a log jam. So we certainly need more inventory and we'd love to see Local governments streamline the process to cut down on the costs of, of construction, right? Permitting takes too long, just frankly. A lot of builders will take hard money loans. They might be doing, for example, just easy math. Let's say they take a $10 million loan and they're paying 10% interest. For every month in delay, that's $125,000 in interest they're paying, right? So that gets built into the cost of housing, unfortunately. And so we want to make sure that we can get these those, that land zoned and built up as quick as we can um, to get housing into stock. 
Next up is a panel about Read by Grade 3. That's a 2015 educational policy sponsored by then-Governor Brian Sandoval that basically tried to get kids proficient at reading by the third grade or they were held back, coupled with a bunch of additional investment from the state side to make sure that actually happened. No kids were actually held back under this program. It was put on pause once Steve Sisolak became governor and then basically eliminated entirely because of COVID budget cuts, but brought back this year under Governor Joe Lombardo, a Republican, and the Democratic legislature. Now, with all that context, this panel, you're going to hear from educator Vicki Crydell, who's a 21-year veteran of the public education system, now teaching reading in a reading center, and a moderator, Elizabeth Thompson, here talking about reading assessments. So when they do the reading test, if a child tests below 40%, that automatically triggers that they're an at-risk reader. What that means from the teacher perspective is I have to send a letter home with the child to go to their parents saying your child is at risk for not reading at grade level and to be retained in third grade. Those letters all go home on the same day. The, The students are very aware of who's getting a letter because they all go home on the same day with the students. I don't think that's a good thing. And I always know as a teacher, when those letters go home for the first time, you inevitably get multiple messages from parents asking you, what does this mean? Even though the letter explains it, parents still want to talk to you directly about what it means. I think it's unfortunate that we identify students as struggling readers from one standardized test. That doesn't make sense to me. As an educator, I don't measure whether my students are a fluent reader by one test. It's like going to the doctor and taking your temperature to see if you're healthy. Doctors use multiple ways to identify health issues, and we do the same thing with our students when they're struggling. So I, I don't I, see it as I a positive. Right there, just because I'm curious. So in addition to that written standardized test that we are all familiar with, right, we all took it in one form or another, regardless of where we went to school in this country or this state, what are some of the other ways that reading proficiency can can be and is actually assessed in, in the school district here or in across the state? So educators do summative informative assessments in our classroom, like constantly. As a reading teacher, I screen every single student. I do, I teach grades one to five. So I'll do what we call oral reading fluency tests. So they're going to read for one minute. We're going to see how many words they read accurately in a minute. We also do multiple tests for phonemic awareness and phonics to make sure that they know what they should know for each grade level so that when they encounter a text, they have all of the strategies in place to be able to do to attack the words and read and understand. So there's just multiple ways that we determine whether this child is reading fluently and the MAPS test that we use, it's an online test and it's something we might look at the score, but it's not something that we use in the classroom. And finally, we're going to hear from my panel. So you'll hear a bit of me, but I'm talking to two economists. The first is John Restrepo. He's the principal at RCG Economics, economic firm here in Las Vegas, and Andrew Woods, who heads the Center for Business and Economic Research over at UNLV. You're also going to hear from Robert Taylor. He is a board member at the Urban Chamber of Commerce here in Las Vegas and a small business owner himself. And you're going to hear a couple clips from everyone about all kinds of facets of the Southern Nevada economy. So the issue is not so much growth of itself, growth and jobs in and of themselves, it's the quality of that growth. And so that's why we at, at our firm prefer to talk about the question of resilience 
and economic development as opposed to just diversification. A subtle difference, but it, it, may, it does make a difference in when you're talking to companies and, and, and policymakers, what, what, what you're trying to achieve. One in four workers work in leisure and hospitality. At the same time, can we also do nudge the economy in other ways to build more resilience so that we're not the first state to get hit when there's a downturn and the last state to recover, which we've seen in the last two downturns, which I get were very different situations. But to assume that those different situations won't happen in the future, I think, is a bit crazy. So when it comes to the tax in Nevada as a small business owner, a lot of people from other states come out here because of that, our benefits. And being a small business owner, a lot of our clients, I'm, I'm a barber also. So a lot of my clients come fresh from California, Arizona, and they say that's why they come out here. So in that structure, I like it. And they, that, they say that's the reason why they come out here. Good. So to me, it's going good. If the jobs come here and stay here, then yes, it will, we will benefit economically. But what has happened in the past in other developments is that they've, the jobs don't stay there and they jet in and out and they bring the workers they need and then they, those workers leave. It's a very mobile industry. Right now, I see a big downturn in the barber industry. I've been owning a barbershop for 22 years, multiple barbershops around the valley. This is the very first time I've seen this decrease in clients. After 9-11, six months later, people got fired at the MGM and other hotels. And then we saw that a little bit. Last recession, we saw a little bit. Right now, a lot of barbershops, salons, when you go in there, they're empty. I'm, I'm having a meeting this Sunday with my, all my employees to let them know we have to figure out a new way and be innovative because to me, everything starts in the barbershop and salons because we see what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Economists said, if you want to go to the economy, go to the pawn shop. The mm -hmm. pawn shop lets you know how the economy is going. We'll go to a right. barbershop or a salon, you'll know also. Mm -hmm. Right. By two of my buildings that I have, I've had new owners in the last three months. That's an indicator. When you own a business and you get an email saying, hey, you have a new owner, that doesn't happen that much, especially at, at a certain time. So we're trying to figure out new ways to stay afloat, you know, to uh, survive this, right. this crash that is, to me, is coming. In 2023, it's really been about the year of the small business and business in general, because how they're weathering both still increased demand, but increased costs, increased borrowing costs, and then being able to navigate those challenges. And so going forward, we're really watching this Yes, jobs are very important, especially because the Fed is watching that number. We're also watching what happens with borrowing rates and how companies are dealing with that, as well as American consumers with higher credit card rates. Everyone's very excited. And it's good news, obviously. We have 336,000 jobs were created, double, as you said earlier, Jacob, as Andrew said, but the economists were predicting. The dark side of that, the flip side of that is that message goes to the Federal Reserve and they go, wait a minute, we're not going to we're going to hold interest rates high. Or where they are right now, or we're going, to, or maybe we may even increase them because we still have not calmed inflation. Remember, the Fed's goal is to get inflation to two percent a year. Now, this is the interesting part. Nevada's got the highest unemployment rate in the country, but it's only five and a half percent. That's essentially full employment. So we have a shortage of labor, and that's driving prices up for labor costs. Part of that is the pandemic. So there's 1.5 openings to every job seeker right now in leisure and hospitality across the country. It shows that the demand for leisure and hospitality workers is still incredibly high. And I think even if there's a slowdown, I think it will be interesting, interesting to see what are the strategies that happen on the strip. You know, it's funny you should say that. I think the, the question of uh, job disruptions with AI and robotics and automation, let's call it all AI, AI as, a, as, a, as a global term, it starts with lower wage workers and then it migrates up toward mid-skill workers and high-skill workers. So the, the studies basically said that two-thirds of the jobs, around two-thirds to 70% of the jobs that existed in 2018, 2019, 
would not exist in 2030, 2035 in, in Southern Nevada. There is a lot of economic research that shows with technology change, it actually does create more jobs. It just creates those jobs in these other industries that may be scarce. And so there's a wage premium. There's a friction to getting into those jobs, whether it be a skill training and education. There needs to be a larger conversation from the state and from our community leaders and our academic leaders about the value of in a degree and what that means. I mean, particularly for a state that has built on taking risk, we should be thinking, I, I think, why don't we take more risk in higher ed and in education and in other areas to kind of make this a little more valuable, a little more utility. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank uh, everyone who came out to IndieFest, whether you are in a panel, watching online, or there in person. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, along with Alex Kuro and Jacob Solis, with additional help from Michelle Rendells. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt. And we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Hydrate. Gotta <laughs> hydrate before you dehydrate. I must hydrate. How do I sound? Do I sound all right? Yeah, do I sound all right? Yeah, you sound good. So. Good, because these, these lips are dry, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I have to go downstairs. <laughs>